0: Gaming NBS episode 198 coming to you Wednesday The Birthday America Welcome to Gaming NBS We're a podcast <laughs> oh, <Sean.
1: laughs> i'm brett the one who apparently remembers what it is we do every week hey sean how you doing
0: doing fantastic brett
1: how, how, how's that car doing for you a little vehicle trouble get a little vehicle trouble
0: my wife's car is a piece of shit and i hate, I hate cars it, they really are a big inconvenience when they don't work properly well, whose car yes. do we borrow to get to work, and how do we get to work? And you oh, start at like eleven o'clock in the morning, and I start at ass crack of dawn.
1: Ugh, yuck.
0: We had a mechanic that didn't fix it right the first time. And oh, those are good. those yeah, are always, that's always fun. They haven't called us about a part that should be ordered. Weird. Ah, I said they don't want to work. They don't want to work on it.
1: So I had uh, in a. Similar bout of frustration. <clears throat> I had some, not even like crazy high winds, so I had a brand new privacy fence put up in my backyard. Ooh. And some wind came through and like popped part of it off. Oh no! And like it's about twenty four feet of it is just bent. Four by four posts are twisted over and stuff. And I'm I lose my fucking mind. I'm like, this fence isn't even forty eight hours old. What the fuck? The winds were not that strong. What the hell? You know, I'm ready for blood and whatever. And my lovely wife is not here to make it so that I don't want to murder people, right? Which is why I have, which is why I have Susan around because she stops me from losing my mind. Yes. So she calms me down enough over text. She's like, "Look, if you call the nice contractor man and scream at him, he probably will not be too too uh, willing to come over and help." So. We've worked, we've actually used him before. He's a nice guy. I just like like I said, in the middle of the night in a rainstorm, I'm like really, my fence fell over. That's just what I fucking wanted. So he's coming out tomorrow. We'll get her fixed. It'll it'll work. It'll work. I know he'll do good work. So it'll be all right.
0: First world problems.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm worried about this. There's literally people, you know, with not having food and stuff. But anyway, yeah. Wow. Wow. We just depressed ourselves. All right. Let's move on. Let's do something
0: fun. Yeah.
1: Oh, announcements! Con events are open. Evercon event submission is open. Avalon Kickstarter writing. I have completed my round of it today, July first. I am. I slid in eleventh hour and got it done and passed it to Mister Sneezak for the next round of fun with the Encoded Design crew. So I am feeling very confident. It was. Um, it was a bit of a not not a slog. Slog is the wrong word. It was a trial in a way because I had not written anything quite like this before so it was really different i think after this is all sudden done through the whole process it might be worth a bonus bs episode just to go through the what i did how i did it and uh what things i thought like oh that can't be that hard that caused me to bang my head on of my desk for hours on end because i couldn't figure it out so oh I'll, we'll uh log that one in there oh and speaking of things i did not get done this weekend between screaming about my fence and working my Avalon stuff i did not get the uh uh, invisible sun black cube video done yet so that is coming just have not completed it that's on its way
0: excellent y-
1: you got anything else man
0: ah uh, nope but I am gonna get under away a campaign yeah what you got tomb of annihilation okay yep I'm gonna run my my group that I grew up with through it.
1: Like when you say grew up with you talking like high school guys or what?
0: Yeah. Wow. Middle school, high school guys. Yeah, we'd known each other for a while and and we'd used to game and then it would, you know, there'd be years that would go by and then we'd game again and then it would you know it'd fall apart and now they really got the passion to get together and do it, and I said, All right, well I'll run it if you guys could figure out it's probably gonna be like a one one day a month kind of thing.
1: I'll tell you, as I've gotten older Well, With my home group being like three hours away, um, it became easier for us to do once a month just because it's a long haul for me to drive all the way up there and hang out for the weekend. But we turned into a weekend thing. So going to once a month for us as uh, grown-ass adults with busy lives and many things to do, once a month became easier to pull off from a distance perspective when we want to see each other face-to-face than it was trying to do it every week or even every other week. Just the once a month became easier to schedule. So I hope that works out for you, man.
0: Oh, I'm sure it'll be no problem.
1: I can't possibly see anybody flaking out at you at the last second. That wouldn't happen. Gamers never do that.
0: Oh, oh Lord.
1: Well, you have to listen to how it goes. I know nothing about the Tomb of Annihilation other than my first thought was, is that some kind of Tomb of Horrors redo ripoff-y thing? I have no idea anything about it. I've not read Jack about it, so we'll have to talk about that sometime. Yeah. You ready? Shall we random encounter?
0: Yeah, let's get into random encounter.
1: Let's do it. You want to start? I'll let you start. I, I blabbled through all the announcements. I'll let you start, Sean. Let your dulcet tones lull our listeners. All right.
0: Corey Wynn emails us on episode 197, Con Game versus Campaign. Hello, fine gents of BS material. Just a couple of comments on the whole con game versus campaign and all that. First of all, I think you are overlooking a key component of convention games. Most of the time, if not always, you are paying to attend the con and its games. If you are shelling out hard-earned cash to attend, I think the general expectation is to have a good time. Your money's worth, so to speak. Also, the more one attends conventions, they might latch onto certain DMs GMs they know. Others might even be trying out new systems, and a fun time in said system might be a tipping point to buy that game. In your home group, I highly doubt your players are paying you to play and expect you to deliver a good time. Uh, I might be wrong, but I think your players show up because they like you and like playing.
1: You know, maybe well, that's maybe that's a problem. maybe we should charge people. If I charge these assholes, <laughs> obviously they Corey's would. They'd bring their A game <laughs> if I charged them. That's what I'm hearing Corey say. I,
0: I think Corey's onto something there. He I'm, might be. I'm running my home game the wrong way.
1: Exactly. Tickets for admission. That's, that's right. the point. All right. Oh, okay.
0: When I f- fire it up on July 14th, sounds like my uh, buddies need to chip in a few shekels.
1: <laughs> okay. Oh, I'll get a uh, a PayPal invoice. Wait, what? What? What's
0: this? What's this thing? Thanks, Corey. $4 an hour? What? <laughs> That's crazy. Cor- That's Corey Wynn of uh, Northern Wisconsin. <laughs> Email addresses. Oh, nice. What I've taken from Con Games is the excitement and cool things I see other DMs, GMs do and try to incorporate those elements into my home games as I evolve as a game master. I love it when I hear from my players that they had a great time and can't wait for the next session. Since we only play about once a month, that might be easier to inject that than that con excitement versus if you are playing weekly and have to generate content quickly. Since I started attending cons, it's a great time to catch up with friends I don't see too often and game with them as well as try new systems or game with a game designer. In many cases, the Game Master is only as good as the player feedback is. In our consumer society, everyone might be quick to write up a review or post on social media about the games they participate in, so I try to make it enjoyable. I stick to the same rules in my home campaign as I do a con game when I run. A player can try anything, and I'll adjudicate as necessary. Not shut down. Speaking of con games... I have a couple up for game hole under the ye old Gaming and BS banner, and I'm getting some ready for Evercon. Looking forward to them both. Corey, war, win. Those are good points, Corey. And I think,
1: you know, I hadn't honestly thought, jokes aside about the, the, the spending component, right? So you dump a few shekels to get in to the con, 50 bucks to $100, whatever it is to get in your uh, gaming convention. You get into it, and you're there, I could definitely see wanting to throw a little more oomph into the game that you paid that that you paid money for, right? It's your vacation time. You're really gonna go out and have a good time. You're there specifically to have fun. And sometimes when you um <clears throat> maybe we do need to charge our players. Um but when you're playing with a regular group, it can be easy to have the real life thing kinda get in the way, right? When we go to a gaming convention, I think sometimes it might be easier when the gaming when that condo shuts behind you, you forget about work the kids being crazy, the dog puked on the carpet, whatever. It's easier to stay in that zone and really put it all in. So good points, man. That's all, That's good stuff. And as always, Corey, thank you so much for running games for us. That's really, really cool.
0: Yes, thank you for opting to mention us in your game as a part of our, our production, I guess.
1: You ready? i do yeah. the next one? Yeah, man. All right. All right, I'm going to murder the last name. Bichetta. Mike Bichetta, uh, emails us on surrender or run away. Hey, guys, love the podcast. Always nice to uh, for this expat to hear a couple of Wisconsin accents. <laughs> He's originally from Appleton. Anyway, um, I, I'm DMing out of the Abyss module for D&D right now, and, I'm, and I was listening to your podcast. I could not stop thinking about the first, oh, seven chapters of my fir- current campaign. I was terrified to even run the campaign, knowing that my group, has held its ground against primordial elementals, ancient dragons, and near-omnipotent gods, and the campaign hinges on the players being captured, escaping from prison, all the hapless tropes you talked about. I, too, was worried about player agency, and the feeling that the campaign was on rails. My tactic thus far has been to give the players several options, but all of them horrifyingly deadly. That way, the campaign can still go the way I'm planning it to go, whether they stand and fight to the death or fall into an underground chasm running through the Underdark. After a number of sessions they plan to loosen up the wheels on the train and let everything fly off the rails. But I think the process of being pushed or, uh, excuse me, I think the process of being pushed around all through the underdark will lead the players to appreciate their gear, levels and abilities in a more sandboxy environment when they get strong enough to go back underground and punch evil in the face. I appreciate any thoughts and have a brand new fashion on me. Mike. Mike actually had a brand new fashion just the other day. It was quite good.
0: I don't even know when the last time I ever had a brandy old fashioned.
1: Well, next time we'll go out. I'll buy you one.
0: Okay. Well, you got to have one. I've had one, but I know. It's but bad. you need
1: one. You need one to keep you current. That's what you got to have. <laughs> if not, you, you'll lose your visa, and we'll have to ship you out. That's, that's what'll happen.
0: That is true. They'll boot me out of the state.
1: Which is pretty much the same as getting booted out of the country. I mean, really, that's how it works.
0: Well, oh, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that, yeah. <clears throat> So,
1: have you run, I do not know enough about um, the Abyss campaign. Do you know anything about that one? I, I understand that it has the prison aspect of it. I did not know. So, I don't know enough about that campaign itself to give Mike any more comment or thought. Do you know anything more about Out of the Abyss?
0: I have it, but I haven't read it.
1: So you're so, no, you are no, you are less help than me. You have the zero. potential, you have the potential to be helpful, but you shunned it by not reading your product. Wait, I to can go.
0: put this on pause and come back in a few hours. That's okay. Let's <laughs> do that. Yeah, we'll just pause nobody it. Will, nobody will ever know. <laughs> That's
1: very. That is very very true. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the main topic is I, I, out of the abyss. <clears throat> oh, look
1: at this! It's like we've just read it in five seconds. Right. So, Mike, I'll tell you what, though, man, I think. Knowing your group and the fear you have, it makes sense, right? And knowing them saying, hey, they've stood their ground before. They fight ancient dragons, primordial elementals. They do all this heavy duty shit and they don't run away. They've never been captured, never gone for the prisoner component. I think you are right to be worried and to pay attention to that stuff. Right? When you think back to those times, you go, like, man, I wonder if they surrender. I wonder if they would run away. Um, <clears throat> it's probably worth it to if you can look back at notes if you have taken or whatever just think about that encounter and say wow i tried that before they wouldn't give it up <laughs> you know i tried that thing before they still wouldn't run away it's worth it's worth knowing that and um possibly taking some kind of out of game cues to them saying hey you know kind of like what Sean and I talked about like you you might need to run away in order to survive this type of thing so Interesting. I love the idea of all options being horrifyingly deadly. Regardless of whether it's for capture or not, I just like the idea that all the players' options are horrifying and deadly. That makes me. At happy. least
0: you're giving them options and choices. That's true. So, I mean, that's
1: You can play agent yourself right to death. That's what that is. I love it. That's true. Yeah. All right, man, over to you, Sean.
0: Carl Davis emails us about prepping for con games. The conversations recently concerning getting your games ready for a variety of gaming cons stimulated some questions, and I would love to have you comment on this might have been a little older. One thing I gotta interrupt this email with is that there's folks that have submitted info through our website, and a lot of those that through that form a lot of spam has come through.
1: yeah, so, we had that problem for a while
0: so I went back and I looked and you know there was and chris uh Chrissy had mentioned something but it was like back in god may april or may and so reading that now would be kind of out of context because she references even an older episode oh wow okay okay so for those of you that have sent us through that form i apologize if we didn't get to it uh i'm looking at it more diligently every week now so having said that hope we haven't turned you off from sending us messages through that method anyways
1: no, that's a good point because we don't
0: we don't we, we don't want to ignore ya.
1: No, we don't want to ignore ya and we're not trying to do the favorites thing like, Oh, I really like Crim fan or oh hey, I really like this other guy, you know, or in this case Carl Davis, who we're gonna talk about here. Right. It has nothing to do with that. It's no. when we get hammered with spam and Sean, <laughs> it's Sean's job to comb through that stuff and um uh, depending where you find it and some we've tried different methods to clean it up and stuff and so anyway, mea culpa. We, yeah. will, um, we will get to it. And mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, if if we miss something, and you're like, no, seriously, you I, I totally want this, send it back. Yeah. I would love to. We'd love to pick it up, even if it's older. That's totally cool.
0: Right. Anyway, carry on, so, sir. So carrying on, uh, the conversations, okay, recently uh, concerning getting your games ready for a variety of gaming cons, stimulated some questions that he wants us to comment on. What kind of prep do you do for your convention games? Do you do significant play testing or just pull the ideas together and see what happens? Do you run the same event multiple times over multiple cons to get better each time? Are you big into props or handouts that add some immersion to the game? Do you spend significant time on developing descriptions? Do you spend time identifying additional encounters or shortcuts Or too fast and too slow groups? Fundamentally, what do you think leads to your best events? Alright, I haven't run games in a few years at cons and want to get back into the swing. I don't want to dust off the old well-tested, well-worn events I ran at Gen Con many years ago. Many questions I would love your two copper pieces on. Perhaps you already covered this in previous episodes, so feel free to point me in the right direction Thank you in advance and keep up the great yesing. So, well I'll moderate this. So, Brett, what yes. kinda of, what kind of prep do you do for your convention games?
1: So what I started doing <clears throat> excuse me is I take a concept that I have and I run it off book, if I get a chance to run off book at a gaming convention. When I ran um Iron Shoes, I ran that off book at Origins, not this year but last year. And tried it just to see how it would go. And went, wow, that went really, it went really well. However, I thought it would be like a two-and-a-half to three-hour thing. We busted through it like an hour and a half, maybe two hours. Like, okay, needs more meat. Then I took all the notes, the mental notes I'd had, wrote down a bunch of bullet points, came back and, and retooled it. I ran it again for some friends of mine ran it again. So basically what I, what I did was I just ran it multiple times. So now when I run it, I could easily fill anything from a two to four hour slot. I could probably stretch it to six, but it's a two to four hour game max. Um, It starts off with like, Hey, here's a really good idea. I have a beginning, some middle stuff and the big, the big thing at the end. And I just kind of throw it up there and see how it goes. I do my best to try to do that before the con itself. So that I've run the adventure at least once so that I have a flow in my mind. So when I go there and say, hey, <clears throat> last group went from A, B, C, D all the way to Q, great. And if somebody else comes in and goes A, B, F, Q, Z, all right. I, I understand the flow of the adventure well enough that I can cut and paste and, and move and groove things around to make it function. So that's my main thing is to run it beforehand.
0: That makes sense, Sean. It does. So for me, prepping my convention game, I have, I will usually run something that's out there. So f- I've always spoke about forget about it, um, or even the Star Wars game that I ran one year FFG, which went from four hours to two year two hours because Sean submitted it incorrectly. <laughs> so in that, it, so the prepping for the game is making sure I have all the handouts, I have table tents, I have all my dice, I have pens and paper, I have extra dice, I have anything for the game, the players in the game to reference, print it out. So it's a lot of printing off all that stuff, um, filing that away, reading the adventure, or making notes. So if it's one that I've made up, getting in Google Docs, you know, writing the intro. So typically if I'm running a Star Wars game, I'm going to write an opening crawl, um, I'm going to set the scene, probably just brief notes, jotting them down. If I want, if I need to read them verbatim so that they have a good idea of what it looks like, then I'll type that out. Um, and it'll be a bit of a flow as it goes. Um, and then it's probably stats. So if it's star Wars, I usually use the cards, um, or creatures and NPCs, the, the, the cards that they have, the card decks are really awesome to use because, they have all their stats on them. So they don't really have like a quote unquote monster manual. So those cards come in pretty handy. Um, you know, if I'm reading, if I have the documentation that I'm using for Forget About It, you know, I'll come up with different encounters and put those in and interject them. So that's how I prep. Brett, do you play tests or just pull the ideas together? You kind of hinted at it already.
1: Yeah, right. I pretty much. I pulled the idea and then I try to play test it where I can. I have and I probably will again in the future say, "Hey, this is a really good idea. I don't have time to play test it." Um I'll go to the con and make it happen. <clears throat> I can usually take an adventure and stretch it if I know I'm like, "Hey, it's a what I will do, I should say, is I do my best to pick the shorter time period for something that I've never run before because I have in my shorter experience running running con games and other men and women have run many, many more con games than me. But for me, if I'm like I could go two hours or four hours, well, I've only run it once, and it ran really, really fast, so I'll go with a two-hour slot. Worst thing is I might run a little bit over or do a couple, you know, GM controls all time and space and, and hop things along a little bit faster. I would rather do that than have a four-hour slot and go, wow um, – it's two and a half hours in, and we're done. I have to either make up a whole bunch of shit for two hours or tell everybody, "I'm sorry we're done." Now some people are like, "Well, too bad, you bust through, you bust through whatever, but to uh, Corey's point from before, I like to give you your money's worth. you know, I, I want to make sure that I fill up as much of that time as I can. So I try my best to, like I said, if I don't have a chance to prep it, long God, that was a long way answer, which is usual for me. But anyway, um, I try to go with a smaller time frame it's easier for me to shorten it than to lengthen it.
0: So I have wanted to play test my stuff, but I typically don't. So I've run Savage Worlds Ghostbusters. I've run Forget About It. I've run Star Wars, FFG version. um, What is it? The Force 5 from Alderaan. Mm -hmm. Those I've never play tested. And I think I want to... But, but, you've I, run at, but you've run them at cons enough well, now. Well, forget about it, I have. Yeah, now if I run the same scenarios, then I could say, well, I've run them at cons, and I've, I've. then it goes to his next question, which is, do you run the same event multiple times over multiple cons to get better each time? So the the answer to that is yes, obviously, because then I can go, oh, I know how this is going to flow to some degree. I'm going to throw them some of the same problems. They may come up with different solutions, but I'll know how to tackle that when it happens. I think part of me personally not running a play test, one, I run out of time, so I procrastinate, and that's a problem and two, sometimes I think by not play testing, I kind of follow the powered by the apocalypse kind of mantra, which is play to see what happens.
1: oh there you go, that makes sense
0: right, so it's if it's if it's too prepped, I think then it's gonna be. Too heavy handed But if I'm like Well here's the deal They're going to go Into this I'm going to have I have a vision In my brain Of how this is going To play out With the bad guys uh, And the encounter And then after that I I don't know We'll just see what happens We're going to see What happens Uh, I like running
1: I like running The same one A couple times Now with Iron Shoes I'm bored of it In so far as I don't want to run That one again Right away So at this At uh, Game of Con I've got a new one for an avalon game and the other thing i've decided to do is if i liked it i would try to run it a few times so now that's in my bag of tricks right so if i'm at a convention and somebody says hey we really like to play that if i want to run an off book game i have it right there ready to go i got pre-gens it's and because i don't i don't I i do theater of the mind at conventions because i don't like lugging a lot of stuff so when you ask about props and things I don't like bringing a bunch of miniatures and carrying all that stuff with me. I like to show up with my books and my dice and go. So that's that's more fun for me because it's more natural to me. I don't run a lot of miniature-intensive games. If I was running Pathfinder or something that was very tactical like that, I would indeed. But what I'm running currently, I don't need that type of stuff. So I tend not to show up with that stuff.
0: So I am the opposite of Brett to some degree. So the Star Wars game, I will make. I will put down a map. And I will put down, because Star Wars miniatures are freaking cool. You put stormtroopers out on on the, you know, on the uh, the mat, it looks pretty decent. Uh, even though it's not tactical as, as much as Pathfinder, right? Everything's like, well, it's small range or, or short range, medium range, and it's just range bands. So it's not, if 30 feet is short range, 60 feet is long range, it's not like that. But I think just getting those miniatures out on the table are pretty cool. Um, has dark side, light side points, so those are kind of important. You have to have those tokens. So there's chits that are involved. So I would well, like a
1: Savage Rules thing, right? If you don't have bennies, right? Bennies, you gotta have bennies yeah. and cards. You got to yeah. have that. That's just a mechanic. That's just uh That's just gear for the game.
0: Right. So there, when I put a game together for handouts, there's pretty standard ones that may come in handy. Like here is a letter from somebody. Here is this or that. With Savage Worlds, Benny's is a kind of a handout. Um, so it's part of the game that mechanic as a chit, but then you can also tailor it to the type of genre that you're running. So I've run Savage Worlds Weird Wars 2. So the bennies are shell casings, right? And I've also wanted to, I, which I, so part of the handout piece with me and running, I have a vision of like, oh, I wish I could have all these kind of props and handouts. Again, goes back to procrastinating and not doing it all. <laughs> so I get a few, and I'll incorporate those. But if I run the game again over the year, if I come across something that will fit into that game, I will probably buy it. So, oh, yeah.
1: So you you start off with, like, you wanted some brass, so I got you some brass. So you've right. got, you got shell casings. And if you wanted to pick up, you know, a Jeep, um, like a... Got a, a jeep cap, I can't remember what the fuck they're called. The ones that guys used to drive in World War II and Korean War era. Used to see the guys driving jeeps in all of the films with that one wool wool hat type of thing. But a beret? yeah, I get it. No, not a beret. No, I can't remember what it is. Like a the watch boonie? cap or something. No, it's
0: not a boonie hat. I can't remember what it is. I don't know what you're, what you're talking about.
1: <sighs> anyway, doesn't
0: matter. <clears throat> doesn't matter. And, and, and but so, uh, for example, forget about it. I have. Old Matchbox cars that are circa 1967 or older. And then I have a tow truck. And then so eventually what I'll do is I'll have a set of that and a path of a road and probably some encounters that they come along.
1: We've been talking about getting you a steering wheel, too, to handle. it to driving. I want to get a steering driving.
0: Steering wheels are not freaking cheap, ladies and gentlemen. No they, no, they are not. And all I, I want is a. I was looking
1: for one to surprise you. Like, I'll find one. Like, motherfucker.
0: But Sean, That's you shit. can just use your Wii. Like, use the Wii wheel that you have. From no. Your lame, Nintendo lame, Wii, lame. Right? Lame. Right. right, lame. But yeah, all I want is a steering wheel because whoever's driving the Cadillac in the adventure gets to hold the steering wheel. Yeah. Right? That'd be awesome. Yeah. So there's some things. But again, I don't have that. Um, what else?
1: Well, I'll tell you the other thing that he mentions there, Carl, when you talk about I haven't run games at cons in a few years, you want to get back in the swing, and you don't want to run the old, well-tested, well-worn events you ran at Gen Con many years ago. Unless you don't like those events, there's no reason, in Brett's opinion, for you not to run those again, unless you don't want to. Right. Because if you pull that adventure out, you may well (laughs) – you could easily grab the crowd of – Men and women like our age go, oh, my God, he's running against the Call of the Reptile God. I haven't played that in forever. He's running T1. Wow, I haven't done that in forever, whatever that happens to be. Um, you may get that crowd of nostalgia-prone people or other people, younger kids these days, who've never played it before and are really interested in doing it. If it's a game you know well, when I first started running games at cons, I started running a game system I knew like the back of my hand, and it was something I'd done a bunch of times excuse me, an encounter I'd done a bunch, which is kind of like a siege. I, I put people in an inn or a building or something, I just have a siege where there's bad guys and stuff and you're stuck in this building. But the point is, is that if it's something you're very comfortable and familiar with, it might be a really good way to uh, get your feet back, wh- back in the pool, right? Or do both. If you're going to run two games at a con, run one of those old tried-and-true ones that you know like the back of your hand, and then crack out a new one and uh, see how it goes. Just a thought.
0: Do uh, you spend significant time on developing descriptions? So, are, I don't know if Carl is talking about descriptions for the game when you submit it, or descriptions in to be used within the game.
1: Well, for submission, I do. I wouldn't say agonize over it, but I do take some time, draft it up a few times, write it, live it, set, and come back at it because I want somebody to read that uh, description for the game and say, "Wow, that sounds interesting. I want to play that." Oh, I've never played Wraith before. I want to try this thing. Oh, I've never played Middle-earth role-playing before. Old-school Iron Crown. Yeah, I'll give that a shot. Boy, that encounter sounds interesting. So I want to do something like that. I try to do that anyway. I don't know <laughs> whether I succeed or not. I don't know. But I'm I'm always hopeful that when I write that thing, it work. When it comes down to um, descriptions within the adventure itself, I don't write a lot of stuff down. It's either a bullet point thought or shit in my head. I don't really write that down.
0: Yeah, so I think with submitting the game, you got to have some type of description, and depending on whether you have it fully fleshed out, depends on what you write in the description. So if you've run it before, you could probably write something a little bit more robust. However, it it's not uncommon where somebody... So for Cold Shadows, I may submit my game tomorrow, and I don't have the scenario set up. But maybe it's a... It, it may be a... Hey, you're playing espionage or secret agent. Or the year is 1930 or 1965, and you are a you are an agent or a member of CIA, OSS, whatever it is. Blah 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 blah. And it's not about the guns and the action. It's about being double crossed. So you frame up the time and kind of the feel for the game versus what is actually going to happen. But if you know that you're going to send them on an extraction mission, you can call it, you know, an extraction mission. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a, there's a Russian high level, Russian diplomat that wants to be that seeking asylum. Your job is to go in there and extract them out of Eastern East Germany. Like that simple. Um, You don't have it fully fleshed out. You just, you do it now going into the game game. It depends on the the scenes. So I may have three or four specific encounters and those I may have descriptions or at least brief notes so that if I want to reference a key point and not overlook it, I can reference that piece. But as far as like typing out a whole paragraph, it may not necess- be necessary um, because I'll know what needs to be conveyed and what's going on. And as players ask questions i'll just fill in the blanks because they may not be the answers may not be relevant but they're going to ask anyway so you're just mm-hmm. like yeah this is yep exactly <clears throat> this is how it's going to look or this is nope it's right in front of you it's not to your left or right it's whatever so that's descriptions
1: yeah it's you know you, you stay true to the premise right right the what's the adventure for right and uh, make sure you stick on
0: that yeah good stuff do you spend time identifying additional encounters or shortcuts for two fast to two slow groups. So this is where, like, do you plan a linear or do you plan it, like, can you can you bop all over the place because you're going to be in a time crunch or have much more time than you anticipated?
1: No, I don't plan it. I, if I know the, as I said, after playtesting it once or twice, I'm like, okay, I, <clears> that sounds arrogant, but I've done this long enough. And I'm like, okay, if I run it at least twice, I'm like, okay, group A went this way, group B went the other way. Okay, I could see other options in between because I listen to the players, listen to them talk about different things they could or couldn't have done, what they should have done. Okay, cool. Good. Group C shows up and they go a totally different way. I don't care. I know enough about the campaign or the that encounter itself, <clears throat> excuse me, that game where it flexes or flows in any direction. At that point, I can ad lib it. I can, I can work with it because I'll. It's it's a singular thing. In so far as it's basically that encounter, just that contained event of that of that four or six hours or two hour thing, so it's easier to say, yeah, okay, you want to drive around the the pond? Fine, you drive around the pond and you find you don't find anything there. But now you're back at the cabin. Okay, next, <laughs> you know, doing that type of thing isn't that hard.
0: Yeah, mine's similar. I have, I mean, it's forget about is it. really awesome for that component because it's a road trip. It's a literally four-hour road trip.
1: Yeah, you're in a car, you have a destination, go. Right.
0: (laughs) What you run into during that destination depends on what I put in front of the players. So if they're dinking around and it's three hours in and I have one hour, I can pretty much gauge what I can throw in front of them during that hour. And if it's going to run too long, then I'll just keep it out, finish where it needs to be, and they may get out a half hour early. But... You know, they're driving down the road. They don't even know what's down the road, right? So that I can literally just put anything. Oh, there's a motorcycle gang up up the road.
1: Flat tires, motorcycle gang, yeah. airplane crash. You could, right. a Zeppelin falls out. You can do anything. It's crazy. So
0: if, if it's running behind, guess what? Well, they don't run into motorcycle gang.
1: Next time you run it, I want you to incorporate a hot air balloon accident.
0: Okay. That's I want I want that in there. Not quite sure why, but okay. Well,
1: it's just that randomness, right? Like you show up at the gas station, and the guy's like, ah, "I'm sorry, that that pumps out of commission. You need to use the other pump." And the player's like, "What? What? What?" It's just a delay. It's a weird thing. And the guy acts, you know, guy acts weird about it. It's nothing. It's just out. He just happens to be a dick. You know, it's the small things that get people, especially in a game like that. Gets, uh, gets them thinking.
0: Oh, I'd throw all kinds of goofy shit at him. Like, and it's uh, not even. It's not even going to blow shit up or shoot people. It's. Hot air balloon accident, man. I'm telling wow. you. All right, hot air balloon big wicker,
1: Big wicker basket. Right. Hot, you know. Oh, yeah, got to do it.
0: And then fundamentally, what do you think leads to your best events? Everything we just said. <laughs> Take everything we just said. And, put and it do together. all that. Do all that. Yeah, no.
1: Honestly, I think, for me, the best events I've had have had two play tests. That's been, if I have that, then it's ingrained in my head, and now I can run that drop of a hat i know how it's gonna go or not, i don't know how it's gonna go i know enough about it that wherever it goes i can help make sure that it, it's a good time had by all
0: i gotta say that if you run an event more than twice it is gonna be better inevitably i think because you're gonna know it better you're just gonna feel more comfortable mm-hmm. it's kind of like public speaking uh, in my opinion, I've talked in front of some groups and I find that if I'm using the same material or the same topic and I talk to, you know, talk with one group in June, the next one in July and the one oh, yeah. in September, you know, I just, I'm kind of in a groove and I know where to go, even though and I don't read notes. Like I just get up there and I have an outline in my brain and I can just go, this is how it's going to go. And then as people ask questions, it's just going it, to, it'll hit your own stride. The first time you run something, it is clunky. You you almost feel like, oh man, that totally sucks. The players may think it's the greatest time of their lives, but so don't beat yourself up if you run into that self consciousness piece of it. It's it'll get better but, over time. But you, so you want to
1: have fun while you're, you want to have fun while yeah. you're doing it. So it's worth it to your fun to enjoy the game and really make sure that you can do the best you can to. Stretch, and you know it's like I would tell any of my martial arts students, "Hey, did you stretch out? Are you working out? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? No? Well, no wonder you pulled your hamstring." Hey, run the adventure if you can, right? We don't always get a chance to, but whenever you can, run it at least once. Somewhere else, I go. Wow, that was cool. That worked, neat. Sometimes you tell your home gaming group, "I'm going to run this at a con. Okay. Can you help me?" And then what they'll do is they'll be all happy to give you all sorts of wonderful pointers about how you can make the game better. You can. You can nod, smile, scribble in your notebook, and act like you care, and but you know what you did wrong. That's fine. Or if somebody does throw a diamond at you, you pick that sucker up, stick it in your pocket, and boom, you take that next time you go along. But uh, most gaming groups that I've worked with over the years, even guys I um, I don't game with anymore, hey, I want to run a thing to test because I got a con coming. I'm like, sure, let's go, let's
0: try it. Yeah, I think cool, that. Man. I think that answers all of Carl's questions. Very good stuff. I hope you find it constructive, Carl. I hope that uh, when you run your next con game, you you incorporate it and feel more comfortable and nail it out, you know, knock it out of the park. Kick some ass, man. Yeah, kick some ass, man.
1: All right, what do we got next? <laughs> ah, fans back. He comments on player skill from a previous random encounter from Matt Cyberlick on episode 197. There's a Grand Duchy of Jeff and Greyhawk. Yeah, Sean. There is indeed. There is indeed. One of my favorite things to run in uh Greyhawk. Speaking of things I've done before is the uh the reclaiming of the reclaiming of Jeff because the giants come in and start laying waste. It's a huge brawl, it's fun. Anyway. Player skill. I think the players have skills, but it really depends on match to the table. Hmm. Someone who loves crunchy rules mastery isn't going to be a good match to a more theatrical OSR type table. Ah, I see what you're saying. Yes. One thing you guys were alluding to that I think is uh, a key player skill is knowing how to keep player and character distinct, um, such as that <laughs> Recon Marine always falling into being a Recon Marine regardless of character. This is, of course, quite hard because our characters are avatars of ourselves in some fashion. It comes under the staying in character, but it's more than just that, I think. What makes a good player is a great show topic. I, I agree with you, Krimfan. I'm going to get that in there. I'm just I'm trying to put my brain around how to talk about it correctly instead of our usual rambly thing. He goes on to say something which I totally disagree with. Uh, I think Sean is right. Con games and one shots, uh... you know, Stephen Dragonspawn pointed this out to me. I, I said I was feeling down about something. He goes, "Well, it is the year of the Kelly." And I said, "That's the fucking problem. The whole world is backwards this year." Anyway, <sighs> I think Sean is right. Says Crim Fran. Con games and one shots are like vacation flings. Nothing needs to be built to last. I know. I know one reason I would be a bit more restrictive in a campaign is that I would worry about things like setting precedents or making property rights this depends strongly on particular players some will realize that some cool stunt like hitting a boar on the nose is not really good uh is not really represent repeatable excuse me not really repeatable so when i make it what the fuck go for it ruling as a gm we usually say sure go for it make a roll etc but keep in mind this may not keep working hit the boar on the nose worth giving that player advantage on that rule but the boars will be wise to that trick good <laughs> good stuff crim fan as always thanks man over yeah. to you John. yeah
0: yeah thanks crim fan
1: yeah, just gloating little bastard to you. Anyway, D- your turn. DM,
0: DM Kojo offers uh, a, a request, makes a request. Hi, guys. I wanted to write in with a show suggestion. I would love to hear your take on playing characters with low ability scores. Ah, the inevitable AD&D roll 3D6. Straight down the line. Straight now. down the line method. I got a high of a 10. Yeah, we used to hate those, didn't we, Brent? I no, we did. Don't. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit can this okay. character. This guy sucks. This character's unplayable. <laughs> That's right. Carry on. I started in the old days. Oh, look at this. Rolling 3D6 down the line. Picking a class and playing it. There you go. Now on many gaming forums, I see players who are used to rolling forty six and dropping 1. Doing point buy, etc. I've been... I have seen a lot of discussion on these forums that implies that characters with a low ability score or two are hopeless or are not fun to play. I disagree with this premise and have had a lot of fun playing characters with some low stats. This has been further ingrained in my gaming psyche by playing Dungeon Crawl Classics RPG, where sometimes the least likely characters survive a character funnel and become heroes that are a ton of fun to play, despite their obvious limitations i would love to hear your take on it thanks dm kojo
1: that's a damn good topic kojo that goes in the hopper that's a good one i like that that's in and holy crap talk about requests adam comes up he's got a request as well good afternoon brett and sean i've been listening for a couple years now i don't games much so i game vicariously through the podcast enjoy your cast immensely thanks man thank you adam he goes on to say, "I've always had a hard time conceptualizing planar travel and the multiverse." Many episodes ago, I don't know the episode number. Brett mentioned doing a main topic on planar travel, and Sigil, the City of Doors. Any plan on that one coming to fruition? Thanks, Adam. Oh, wow, I had forgotten about that. Honestly, Adam, but that is interesting because a lot of um, a lot of the type of fantasy that I run, even in D and D, tends to be that kind of gritty street level, lower powered magic. However, planar travel, um, planar travel is interesting, and I think it's not—it's not just a D and D thing. There's other games, other systems with you know, ethereal discs or um, planes of uh, elementals
0: and so forth. I
1: think that one's worth—I uh, think that one's worth pulling back out. Sean, did you do any Planescaping Back
0: I've, in the day, I have never played Planescape. Ah, okay. I've never played Planescape. I've never played Dark Sun. I've S- never played Birthright. I haven't played Spelljammer. I, no no? no. nope
1: <laughs> he said with distaste
0: is that I what I detect? <laughs> dude like I don't mind Reese's peanut butter cups mm-hmm. but in my gaming I don't mix the chocolate and the peanut butter
1: okay alright no I spell
0: jammer man no D&D in space
1: none of that for you but
0: play fucking Traveler play no, Stars I get it. Without no, I get Number I like,
1: but you would play Sigil I bet Plainscape. i' have, I have no idea you have no
0: idea. Planescape mm-hmm. I guess I would. I don't know. I mean, how Did you coo- ever
1: do did your characters ever do the whole plane hopping thing? Was oh, that we, ever a thing you did? Oh, we did
0: end up in like the Nine Hells and all this other goofy stuff every <laughs> once in a while, but I mean, that's what you do when you're 14. It's like Yeah. yeah you, you, I get <laughs> it. Get banished to some Yeah. Happy Hunting Grounds, man. That's where we wanted to go. Let's go to the Happy Hunting Grounds.
1: Or somebody's care or, <laughs> I, I do just think I remember being a young, young whippersnapper, like fourth grade, you know, desperately trying to make a character as powerful enough to go to some realm to kill the god on its home plane because it was the only place you could, hundred percent kill a god, which is right. <laughs> shows the mentality of the gamer I was back at that time.
0: Yes, you do, man. Inter- yeah.
1: Interesting idea, Adam. I think I'm gonna that one's gonna take a little. Little extra thought because I think it's worth it. I don't know if I know anybody who's a big Planescape dude or or lady. If I could pull a Planescape gamer out of our ether and say, "Hey, she knows Planescape like the back of her hand," let's get her on the show. I don't know anybody who's a
0: Planescape person.
1: Um, not that it has to be Planescape focus. I'm just thinking.
0: I thought hmm. I did, but I don't recall who. I know there's somebody that I know that's like, "Oh, Planescape's awesome, man! I would totally." I used to, to play the shit out of Planescape, but I can't remember hmm. who it is. <laughs>
1: All right, we'll have to want we'll to dig that one out too. Good Lord, all the topic ideas keep hitting Somebody's probably
0: like listening going. um, I uh, play planes the hell out of planescape.
1: Tell us that that would be great to hear if even if you're like I don't want to be on the show I don't want to talk. I'm like that'd be great. I would just like to be able to pepper somebody with questions. That would be cool.
0: Are we right. good, man? Yeah, let's get to the main topic. All right,
1: Brett. You ready, man?
0: Dude, I'm always ready.
1: So one of the things we were talking about last time in about player skill, one of our uh, astute listeners, our multitude of astute listeners, will come in with uh, different ideas about, hey, what makes for a good... Um, I think uh, Cyberlick mentioned it. And what we just we just heard from... Um, let's see here. I think it was CrimPan brought it up too. Anyway, point is, is uh, player skill. And there's a thing that... And we also had a listener, I think Chris had mentioned an old episode we did on alignment and a couple of people that anytime we bring up the a word, right? It, it, it pumps out ideas and people to have very strong feelings about alignment. One of the things that I hear, uh, that is like alignment discussion adjacent is the, I'm just playing my character that, that mantra that, that people will use either for good or for ill. And there's a piece that I've, I've struggled with, with certain people in my group over the years. And I think, I've gotten most of the the guys over this. And sometimes somebody will say, <clears throat> "I don't think my character do that." And I'm like, "Well, so what? That's what you used to think." type of thing. So I just I want to talk about character growth. I want to talk about how a character's perspectives and all that stuff should it change, right, as the game goes on? Or is the way you design the character at the beginning this iconic hero concept that they will never ever change, regardless of what they encounter in the um in the adventures themselves, so you follow me uh <clears throat> he, he, he said look no he said shaking he said that's great <laughs> all right, uh, so let me let me i don't, me dive. I, don't
0: under, I don't understand a single
1: word that came out of your mouth <laughs> well, that's lovely <laughs> all right, so let me take a crack at this and um we'll see if Sean catches up anyway right. so. When you start your character, let's use D&D, it's the big, it's the big kahuna, right? So you start your character and even even like in uh any game actually, they have an outlook on the world, they've got goals, they've got things they want, they have an alignment if your system has that and so on. And that's how they start, right? You've got somebody who's a Cold War spy. They hate the pig dog Americans. They're, you know, they're there to overthrow, they're there to, you know, do this thing, or they're they're tear down the curtain, or whatever the hell it is they're doing. And um, things start to happen to the character, right? They encounter NPCs. They um, the spy character deals with a honeypot trap. This character deals with watching corruption and the wilderness of mirrors and the craziness that that happens in espionage. And at some point, the character, the the world around them is showing them different viewpoints and things are happening to them. People they trusted are telling them things like, Hey man, you know, maybe what we're doing isn't the right thing. Maybe we shouldn't be trying to tear down the wall quite like this. Maybe we should actually be helping this KGB agent. You know, maybe I think we're after the same thing. You know, you get these conflicts and we have all this great tension that we want to bring together and somebody at the table, not all the time, but somebody said, well, that's not consistent with my character. I've actually heard other players tell the character, tell other players, well that doesn't make sense. Your character wouldn't do that. And my argument is wouldn't that change at some point as the as play goes on? If we're trying I mean granted we we're not all necessarily simulating real life, but I'm pretty damn sure I am positive that my views on certain things, politically, socially, and other things from when I was 12 are way different now when I'm 45. They're very different. I've had a plethora of life experiences since then. I know a lot of different men and women that have um, had massive life-changing events. They went off. They had a kid. And they're like, oh, my God, never planned to be a parent. And, wow, I have a parent. And their life changes on them. I've known other people that have had horrible tragedies happen to them, lost a child. They've um, been to war, come back. They've witnessed horrible things and real and as a cop or all, all sorts of things. And it changes your view. So I think it's interesting that I don't see... Uh, Dungeon World does this with bonds and stuff where you, you you change them, right, as as things go along. This thing happened and my bond with Sean's character is completed or this thing I owe him or whatever. And I think that's a piece, and, and maybe I'm just reading the wrong game, so I think it's a piece that players, if we're going to be good players, it's a player skill, we should carry that with us. To every game we play, honestly, I, I can't think of many games where I wouldn't want to have that. Where you would look at your character's outlook as a malleable thing that is subject to change depending on the input that he, he or she receives. That's what I'm talking about.
0: Sounds good, other, dude. other
1: than just agreeing with me and ending the show. <laughs> do you do that? Do you when you when you attack it, or do you or do you make you know Rogar the Thief and Rogar the Thief is the same greedy motherfucker he's always been since day one, even when he's level
0: ten. Um, many times I don't think that player characters evolve like you are laying out this (laughs) evening. I am open to it, and I think it's a great concept, and there's a couple reasons why I don't think it happens. Okay, lay them on me. One, I think we come up with a character concept, and that concept becomes that character... Until the character's death. Good, bad, or indifferent, whatever the reason.
1: So Rogar the thief is a motherfucker, steals from the party. Regardless of the fact that the party has saved his life 20 times since Sunday, doesn't matter. Little prick's going to steal from the party.
0: Hey man, get on the back of the scorpion, I'll get you across the water.
1: <laughs> it's my nature, can't it's, help it.
0: Yeah, You stung me, well, because I'm it's a scorpion. Nature. That's right. That's, that's what so I there, do. So that's what I do. So that's one reason second reason is that in some campaigns you they don't advance time oh so to think that strict rules of time must be kept that's right gary so if you're running a player character and it feels like you're playing once a month but in game time it's been three days the last three encounters you had or the two encounters you had last month and then you go to the, so you're playing in June, now it's July, and you're going to play with your group. The time in-game has only been three days. Your character, even though it's been a full month in real time, hasn't evolved years.
1: Yeah, how could you have a, per- oh, wow, I hadn't thought about the time piece of it. Right, Brett. That's a, that's a, that's very, good, that's a very good point, because Brett? the perception from the outside, that's awesome, dude.
0: That's why I'm here, Brett. That's awesome. That's why I'm here, man. You're the
1: Kelly indeed. Dude. Wow.
0: Fucking crushing it, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Boom. Because I, I remember, like, the first edition of ad Dragonlance. I was a big Dragonlance fan back in the day, which we've talked about before. And um, I remember, I have not rechecked it, but I remember in the old hardcover, which is the first AD&D uh, book I ever bought, by the way, was Dragonlance. Was Rubble. it really? Yeah. They had, because the alignment matters so much, lawful, good, chaos, because of the gods. Um, it really seemed to matter. And they had like a tracker. Like you watched your alignment. I remember this being an important piece that everybody ignored, <laughs> but it was like this thing, like you should track this and nobody ever paid attention. I remember seeing that in other D and D style games where you, you tracked alignment to try to say, Hey, you're behaving a certain way. Therefore your alignment would change. I could even see now in D and D five E as squishy as alignment is more theoretical than, you know, hardcore. Um, Where you could say, well, you're acting a little more chaotic than lawful, blah, blah, blah. But I think you're right without knowing, without the game master saying, look, you guys have been in this dungeon or you've been dealing with this Cold War era issue. You've been dealing with the same, you know, KGB, you know, operatives for the last year and a half in game time. And uh, yeah, it's going to feel like it's been a week. It's been two days because we get together to play once a month or even once a week, and that adventure could be one day. Right. I mean, one well, one real day because wow, we got through three encounters. It's the end of the day. We crash. All right, cause this looks like a good place to stop, guys. Let's just kill it here. We'll come back next week and pick up where we left off. You get there and we say, hey, what happened? Yeah, we just we we spent a day. We did this, isn't that right, Mary? Mary's like, yeah, yeah. And I I healed you all. Okay, cool, great. Um, you know, Tina, go up there. Mary, do that. Billy's got this. We're good. Let's go. It's day two. <laughs> Well, so it would be hard for, you know, Ragnar the motherfucker thief to not be the same motherfucker thief he's always been.
0: Right. Because it's just a day. Right. Not only that, but how old do your player characters get in a campaign?
1: 12. <laughs> like no. they, they age 12 years? No, I'm, I'm just joking. Like, they, they stay like they're 12 because I right. tend to game with a bunch of guys and we're a bunch of morons. <laughs> the time we act like we're 12 year olds.
0: But I don't remember the last time I ever aged my character. You know that's it's an interesting connection because even so, even if we, I
1: like that. The other piece we could do too is that there are moments in time, even um, from day to day, that could be life changing. You could be going to, you could be, you can have a you can have a vehicle accident, Sean. That could kind of change your opinion on certain things like that. One day, day one to day two, your your opinion on motor laws within the city of Madison may suddenly change drastically. You know. That could happen. And I could see that as well, I guess. So I love the time piece saying, look, longer-term events happening that your character should grow and progress and outlooks on his or her, uh, their outlook on on their life and life around them and so forth may well change. Probably should for growth perspective, either evolve, devolve, whatever. The other thing to keep track of is when something crazy happens. I remember in my one Avalon game, uh, Zave's character, Ulf, was a 16-year-old druid, and he's a city druid, they, and his family's mushroom farmers. And his dad is this badass, like, secret druid badass. And he's, like, finding out this stuff, like, damn, my dad's a badass. And something happens. There's this thing going on. Ulf doesn't fully understand it. At the end of all things, he comes back. And they're having they have to have the ceremonial meal. It's part of something that's going on. His mother's drug him to the table. The seat where his father is is gone. Everybody's eating. He's like, right, shouldn't we wait for dad? That's okay, your father your father will be here shortly. Second course comes out, everybody's eating. He's like, Where's Dad? And mom's like, He he's here with us now. He ate his dad. That was part of the process, right? Jeez. Oh, <clears throat> so <laughs> he went through that and it was this it was this bizarre thing and they did it and Zave went out after that and was trying to do something and I remember Beta looking at him going that doesn't change your outlook at all and Zave looked at his character sheet and said yeah you're right hang on let me make a note ate my dad gone crazy for a while (laughs) it was just it was one of those things like wow something horribly weird happened to me it was kind of like the sanity insanity thing we talked about a while back we call it Cthulhu you have those moments that may well change your outlook I, you know but you take those moments and say, that's a drastic thing, like you went insane, you ate your dad in a bizarre druidic ritual. But I think I I honestly had not thought about it, but I think you're right. Without keeping track of time and laying it out every session to the players and yourself saying, Hey, <clears throat> it's been a month in game time since this has occurred. Right? It's hard for people to justify changing you know, Ragnar the Thief, who's a backstabbing party thief, who like, literally steals from the party, changing his perspective when he's only been with these Jokers for a week or a day or just on some real quest he got thrust into for whatever reason. I think what you're saying there makes a lot of sense. I had not thought about that.
0: Well, and there's no mechanic, usually.
1: Yeah, so that's that's where the, the Bonds piece, like, that comes in from Dungeon World and that, that type of thing, where you have that piece, and that's, like, after every... I can't remember what it is. After every session or whatever. But I think if you were to take that mechanic, and there may well be... <clears throat> I'm positive there's other pieces out there that either track, like, alignment shifts or something along those lines. But it's kind of like a personality change. Like, hey, after X number of personality-changing events, do you want to change your outlook? <laughs> You know, I, I don't necessarily know how to how to build a mechanic. Maybe somebody—I'm positive somebody out there has a mechanic for this. I just don't know what the fuck it is. So, if somebody knows this, let us know. But I get where you're—that's you're going right where I was going to go too. Because we could say, well, it's been a month. Roll on the do I change my perspective on the world chart? Or <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. Dave, have you played anything other than like a Dungeon World with a bonds type of thing? Have you done anything like that? Like no, with the a bo- mechanic?
0: The bonds for Dungeon World are really about. You know, so it's...
1: It's not the same thing. It's the only thing I can think of off the top of my head that's similar.
0: Right, but you get experience points. Yes, yep, exactly. When you complete them. So there's an incentive to kind of come together with the bond and go, yes, it's been fulfilled.
1: Ah, so even if you don't have a chart to say, hey, my personality has changed five points, if there is a a, a gain, an inspiration point for D&D or... a Benny or something that could be gained for your character mechanically for saying, Hey, hands up. Ragnar, little prick thief is no longer this guy. He now believes this because of these occurrences in the game. Therefore I'm no longer, you know, picking uh, pockets from the party anymore. I just can't do that. After Mary's character saved my life for last time. I just, I can't overlook this anymore. My, my self predilections are gone. I'm no longer selfish. I'm a new man if there's a reward for that would, that would probably help certain players want to do that. Cause if no reward, some, honestly, some players aren't going to do it. What, what, what's in it for me, Sean? Nothing. It's okay. A, then
0: I think there's always this mentality of, uh, of positive reinforcement. And it's always seems like a carrot and a stick with players. And I, I, I don't like that. Well, I don't like it either. I guess I'm, like, well, hey, if you want to facilitate this play, then you got to put it into the game so that it has there's some type of incentive.
1: Yeah, if there's no mechanical effect, the game itself doesn't allow for it, therefore the What's players my... aren't necessarily going to do it.
0: Right, which is a good point, but at the same time, it's like, God, it really sucks that every time, if I were a game designer and I was like, well, in order for my players to do what I want them to do, I have to create a, a mechanical rule to, to make that happen. While I get it and understand it, and it may help facilitate play, which is a whole other ball game, it just kind of sucks that
1: that's how I think it goes to the player skill thing that we threw out last we talked about last week's episode, and again earlier in the in the feedback again again here is it's a skill if there is no mechanic, if there is no carrot, no stick as a player, I want to do that.
0: Great. So
1: I think it makes me a better player than somebody who refuses like, nope, I'm sorry Ragnar's a thief and he's just a prick and he's always going to be that until the day dies. He's aged 50 years since we met him, still the same little prick.
0: That's some people are like that in real life. Oh, I know. Oh, so, I know. But why would you why would one get an incentive and one not?
1: No, I'm not I'm not saying you have to incentive. If there is no incentive, Oh, I see what you're saying. You're saying so if somebody says, "No, I'm not changing because of this."
0: Why is one a better player than the other?
1: What I'm saying is you being open to it and doing something about it. You even stating the fact that, "Look, you know, even in the face of all the kindness that Mary's character has done, I still hate her." My character still hates her. Okay. Really? Yeah, I just I've I've looked at it and, you know, he still he can't get over the fact that She's she he he thinks she stole that dagger from him all the way back. He just he holds a grudge and he just can't let that one go. Okay, cool. That. All right, then that's cool. I don't I I think I'm what I'm doing, I guess, is a long way around backhanded. Agreeing with you is I don't believe you have to incentivize them by giving them a cookie, a Benny, an experience point, uh, inspiration point. I don't think you should. I don't think you should have to do that. But I think it's worth it as a player, if you want to become a better player, to look at your character. When someone says, wow, he's still that guy. She still always gives everyone the benefit of the doubt. Everyone you've given the benefit of the doubt to has has killed you. Everyone that, you know, your thief continues to do this horrible thing. You're like, well, that's, you know, that is who they are. And I thought about it. And um, if the only thing is, I'm sorry, I'm just playing my character with no other explanation, I think that's a lazy, lazy fucking way to go about it. You should be able to, if you're a good player with skill, be able to say, you know what, I've looked at it, or I'm, you know what, good point. Maybe I should look at this differently. Let's talk about that, or something. Is that making sense, or you don't don't agree with me?
0: It does make sense. I don't. I think it's based on each player's preference whether they want to do that or not. I go. I think that goes back to role playing. There's some that are going to immerse themselves in role playing and taking on a character and funny voices and that's act, fair. Acting out things and then there's going to be people like, hey man, this is my character. They're going to talk in third person all the time.
1: This is what they do. This, yeah. is, what,
0: this is what my character <clears throat> does. This is. I guess it, it doesn't. I do this. I do that.
1: So by my saying better isn't necessarily. That's kind of. Hyperbole there, I think the idea would be that's what I prefer, right? I like that that's more fun for me. It's more fun for me to see at my table. It's more fun for me to be as a player if the other <clears throat> excuse me if the other person just insists on doing it their way as much as I'm insisting on doing it my way, that's fine too, as long as you know they're not wrecking something else right They're not a problem player because of it type of thing
0: so the other game that everybody's probably yelling at as they're listening to this, that may even come close, and I'm sure there are some, but Star Wars and Dark Side Points. So if you're a Jedi and you're starting to do things that are not aligned to be goody-goody, you end up accumulating dark side points. Maybe not in... I can't remember how Fantasy Flight Games handles it, but... Well, Paladins can lose their paladinhood, too. That's that's true, too. Yep, that's fair enough. But, you know, yeah. So in Saga Edition and... it's Dark Side Points in Saga Edition, I believe, and D20, probably? I mean, once you are fully engrossed to the dark side, you sacrifice your your character. Like, you turn them over to the Game Master, here you go. So over time, you can...
1: That's because dark side is so much more powerful than the light side. It just—it's an overpowered character. And
0: that point. may be true <laughs> to some people, but nonetheless, they end up getting rousted out of the party because they're—they've—they've they've fallen into the dark side.
1: Well, vampire used to do—not well, used to, but their humanity track in vampire. I don't know what they're doing now, so I should say used to. Uh, if you lost enough you know, humanity, became a beast, and that's it, crumple character gone.
0: Right. So you there know, you go. The, yeah.
1: That was there too.
0: So a but mechanic, a mechanic I mean, that forced a thing to happen. That's kind of good and evil, right? It's like, mm-hmm. are you doing something that's moral and aligns with um, what a Jedi should represent? And if it isn't, you know, then... And
1: in, in Vampire, that was the whole concept of, you know, <clears throat> you know, beware the beast because it could easily become you at any minute and you're staring oh. into the abyss. There you go. That was the idea. It was not oh. necessarily the best mechanic and most people just game the fuck out of it. Right. <laughs> so they could be as close to a beastie as they could get and still be playable. At least the ones I knew. I guess I just, I see it as, is interesting when, um, and I th- if nothing else, from a player's perspective, I think it's worth ourselves as players and other people when, when you're playing, when you're playing RPGs to look at it and say, you know, even if there's no mechanic for it, there's no benefit for doing it or whatever. Look at your character and say, is this, is the only way your character grows through experience points is the only way they grow through that stuff? Or can their perspectives on the world change as well? And that was kind of where I was starting to come from. Does that make sense?
0: It does, but I think that... Um,
1: Without a carrot, no one's going to do it?
0: Well... Because they're just
1: lazy? Is that what you're saying, Sean?
0: No. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. Sounds like what you're saying. What I'm saying is that I don't know if there's enough um, reason... For them to go that route, other than turning things up a little bit on the...
1: Playing my character perspective?
0: Yeah, the motivation <laughs> piece. Right? I mean, somebody's going to play a particular character with a particular concept, and there are many times, as the character grows, many level up, even skill-based, right? Generic systems like, mm-hmm. oh, I get to put, you know, if I get five skill points. I'm going to allocate them all in these different areas. You know, that's leveling up. In a level position or uh, system where it's experience points, they add them up. They ding a level. They get more feats. They get more base attack bonus. They get more higher saves and stuff. All that stuff is all mechanical. Most of it can be maybe socially based if there's like a but. It I don't know if it changes the 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 outlook of the character unless it plays into the story, which is fine. And some indie games probably facilitate that quite a bit uh with some of the the mechanics, but you know so if you're
1: sounding you're, like you think it's a dumb idea. I
0: think if you're in d and d there's it's a, a dumb idea there's a i'm gonna create a kick ass character and they're only gonna become more <clears throat> kick ass as time goes on
1: i'd like I won't make this as one dimensional as possible. How can I do that well that's that's the goal yeah. To your point, though, that if that is your brand of fun, more power to you.
0: Well, but it, goes, d- it goes to this, too, though, Brett. So there's times when we talk about a player character that says, I wouldn't do that because, right? Yes. Um, I wouldn't do that because that's not what my character would do. Correct. You, meant, you mentioned that at the, early, the, the, the outset of this topic. Mm-hmm. So say they start out, and you, you know they're like, yep, I would do that. That's what my character does. And then they change. Correct. So it works both ways. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but I don't. I don't. I don't know, man.
1: <laughs> it's just too much. It's too much work for you, Sean. You're just not going to pull. It's just too much intellectual capital for you to put into your character. I guess. <laughs> i <Dicking> on you. <laughs> I don't know if things change
0: enough to impact, like, because you can. I get guess in-
1: it. I guess it depends on on you know what da 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 da. So do I think the same now as I did when I was forty? Yeah, pretty much. That's five years, right? Sure. And if that character in game time doesn't really exist, campaign doesn't last more than five years in game in campaign time within that world, be it vampire, Star Wars, whatever, they probably have the same outlook. (laughs) At the end of that campaign, they may well have a different outlook. I could see that. They went through and did something and found out that Darth Vader's his dad. Wow. Spoiler. Maybe he's got a slightly different outlook on Darth Vader now. You know? Right. But at at a certain point, I I do get what you're saying. I, I think the... I do believe you hit on something there when it comes to time, because you can have a thing, like a sanity-shaking event we talked about, you know, Ulf ate his dad, um, along with the rest of his family, so it was kind of a joint thing. Uh, anyway, so there's horrible um, familial cannibalism, and then there is uh, sanity-shaking things in Cthulhu, and those are, wow, holy fuck, this thing, crazy thing just happened to me, so therefore my world outlook changes because of that. Totally groove on that. Everybody, not everybody, but I think that's easily understood. And I think it's the subtler, I've been doing this for a long time, and I no longer think, you know, killing Bothans is funny, so I want to do something different with my life. And I think that without without a mechanical component in there and so on and so forth, I think the other piece of it is, you know, I I think it does come down to time. You know, if it takes a while for that stuff to kick in, you know. For your whole worldview to change overnight, that doesn't happen all the time. No, And um, it, it takes time for that stuff to sit in your brain, ferment for a while, get turned over like Pete Moss, finally get <laughs> finally brought it in, figure it out, go, yeah, you know what? I don't agree with that thing I used to think that my dad taught me, so I'm going to think this other way now. That makes sense. I think in a longer campaign <sighs> that has multiple arcs and approaches and so on and so forth, if there isn't a mechanic, it might be worth having the players and GM have those checkpoints where they ask each other those questions and so forth, but... Interesting. I like what you're saying. I mean, I'm not, I'm picking on you a little bit, but obviously I, I agree with what you're saying. Those are good, good points and counterpoints back. So interesting and stuff. I think it's
0: all going to come down to the player and whether they want to be able to do that on their own. And Oh, their...
1: totally. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's just, it's a, it's a player skill. Do you value it as either a player or as a game master? Do you value that thing at your table? If you do, um, value doesn't always have good. It's good right. for you yeah. one way or the other. It doesn't, and I believe, I don't believe that, valuing it all, always means that you have to give them a cookie for it. You don't have to give them a reward in-game for doing that cool thing. I think it's if it's a thing you value, you can bring it up and say, hey, I think it's cool that Mary did this with her character because I just think that's really neat when people do that. Right there, praise in front of the whole group like, that's cool, thank you, Mary, that was awesome. You know, Or, hey, you know what? Sean's character has been the bastard thief and uh we were talking about it and he's like, you know what? He's still a selfish bastard. He just he's got this iron brain and he just doesn't doesn't want to change. That's pretty cool. Sean at least put some thought into it, that's neat. I mean, even saying that is a is a way for praise to hit the table. So anyway, interesting stuff, man. I think we're done. All right. If other people think differently or have better thoughts or opinions on this, as always, email us, contact us, smoke signal us, whatever you gotta do. Tell us where I'm wrong and how Sean is right. I'm starting to get used to it.
0: (laughs) Die roll. All right. Um,
1: I've only got one this uh, time around. Over the Edge, there's a new edition of that coming out. Kickstarter is going to hit. I don't know when it's going to land. The little link in the show notes to the Atlas Games site here. Basically saying, hey, it's coming. Redesign rules. Crowdfunding campaign will happen. Uh, blah, blah, blah. So you can follow the link in the show notes to the Atlas Games site. There's a, hey, pop your email in. They'll get you a notification when the uh, Kickstarter launches. But it's a thing. Uh, that game was pretty uh, pretty important to a number of different people from like a game design perspective and so forth. So I just felt it was worth calling out. Sean, over to you, sir.
0: All right. Uh I found this online um, through a stream that I'm that that popped up in my news stream somewhere uh 12 fantastic science fiction and fantasy novels that you should check out this July by Andrew Liptak on the Verge. So there's a few uh just the recommended readings if you some of you will be look at it and go I read 10 of these and uh, already or whatever the case is. I think they're I don't think they're new. I think they're just all over, I think if I'm not mistaken, there might be an Asimov novel in there um second one custom d and d character sheets by Luke Howard are a big hit. I don't remember if I pointed this out before or not, but th- I came up on a different site that I just reminded me if it did um Cecilia d de Anastasio on Kotaku um pointed out Luke's handiwork, which are pretty cool. they're like little I think I. I Like it's how he does it, yeah, it's a little booklet. I think what happens is you can get the cover and then you can get little inserts inside and it has the character sheet, and then it has also some tips and pointers or some rules that are specific to d and d so wow, uh, yeah, that, I used to, we used I'm to just sh- looking at it right now, yeah. that's fucking cool. We used to do that shit when we were kids, like do do those booklets, and they were pretty do our own character sheets, um, so yeah, there's mine. Uh let's see, Joe Swick brings up an article worth he thinks is worth reading. Um how not to run D and D at a con. Um <laughs> I and, saw that link and I hadn't I have not read it yet. Yeah, it's on the Raging Owlbear blog. Uh and we'll put a link in the show notes to that one. Thanks, Joe, for sharing that. Um and then what else do we have? I'll try to remember if there was anything else that we overlooked. I don't think so. I think that's pretty much about I think we're good, man. Yeah. Oh, there was another one that Joe brought up. Bring Your Own Miniatures, um, which is another one uh, about basic miniatures game, aiming back to the origins of role-playing games, um, where each player controls a single miniature and maybe a couple of their henchmen. They collaboratively or even competitively explore an underground environment that is revealed through the course of play. Hmm some concept sketches put a link in the show notes to that as well it's kind of an interesting concept that's on observations of the fox blog cool um, by michael wenman so we'll put that in there but otherwise uh, that's good stuff that's the that's this show is completed i think we're good man
1: next week i was actually, i wasn't positive what to talk about and then kojo dropped that one about the 3d6 down the line all that stuff that one's really tempting. You know what, man? I don't know. That could be... That's a front runner. I'll tell you right now, it's a front runner for next week. We'll see what we get to.
0: Oh, boy. All right. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, I'm Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good game and all. This episode of Gaming NBS BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Andy Hall, Corey Wynn, Graham Miner, Joe Swick, Brett's Biggest Fan, Forrest Aguirre, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Remy Billado, Jason Obs-Hobbs, Wayne Humphrey, James Carpio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Brandon Barnes, Dan LaValle, C.W. Mellencamp, Bloss Saylor, Misdirected Mark Productions, Christopher Gray, Finolf, Merkel Freilich, Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Wiss Static, Alexander Auerbach, Neil Benson, Chris Steele, Eric the Huff Hoffman, Kyle Winner, Curtis Takahashi, Mark Tasaka, Larry Hout Ray Otis Ron Bishop Craig Huber Xavier G JV John Hammersley The Closet Gamer John Steve Jared Rasher Mark Richmond, Thomas Hook Blake Ryan Chad Glamon Sky Roger Braslett Evan Harrison Cass Craig Howard Bishop Jim Fitzpatrick Peter Skains The Knights of the Night Crew Josh Wallace Corey Welch Eli Kurtz Petiri Turtianen, Edwin Nagy Bruce Connington Aaron Coleman Tim Short Stefan Dragonspawn Rolf for Guild Gordon Cranford Eric Salzweedle George Sedgwick Kevin Lovecraft Matt Cyberlick, Jack Neller, Robert Nemeth, Eric Bontz, Gladian, Ron Blessing, and Brian Kurtz. For ways to support the show, head over to GamingMBS.com forward slash support dash us. Thanks, BSers! This, this has been, been a Litterbox Box Studio production. Studio production.